Hello and welcome to Works Broken, a podcast by Nile O'Carroll in association with Pep Talk, and I'm the producer, Gus Ryan. Niall is a qualified psychologist, sports psychologist and business coach, and he's also the Chief of Global Partnerships at Pep Talk. Over the past decade, Niall has been responsible for developing and driving high-performance programs in corporate and sporting organisations around the world. Some of his clients include world champions, Olympians, and some of the most successful sales teams in business. On this episode, Niall is in conversation with Dr. Christian Bush, an internationally known expert in the areas of innovation, purpose-driven leadership, and serendipity. Christian is possibly best known for his best-selling book, The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. We join the conversation with Niall and Christian discussing their roots into psychology and serendipity. But I was always really passionate about people and behavior and understanding. And, and, and I'm a sports nut. So understanding why some people were brilliant at handling pressure, other people weren't. And what were the aspects that got in the way of why did athletes really struggle with retirement? You know, what was the transition problem and all those kind of things. And because I was interested in all that, it led me down a path. And I believe that because I had such a passion for it, it made me better at what I do. And it's just, it was interesting to me to think, you know, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your, your story, about how you got to where you are now. Because, I'm, you know, judging by your, your surname and your accent, I'm assuming you didn't grow up in New York, so. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, 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 and similar to you, I mean, I, you know, I actually was, was kicked out of school. I had to repeat a year in high school. Um, I was this kind of rebellious teenager who was trying to push any and every boundary that, that seemed to be there. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of transferred this, this lifestyle into my driving style. You know, I probably helped the uh, unofficial world record of how many dustbins you can knock off on your way to school when you're driving. And, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, one, one day I wasn't that, that lucky anymore. I, I smashed into four-part cars. And I, I think that's where kind of the, the quote-unquote um, search for meaning started that I've been embarking on because, you know, I, I kind of, um, I, I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene and was like, oh my God, he's still alive. So this idea of, oh, I was supposed to be dead. And so it brought up all these weird things around, if I would have died, you know, who would have come to my funeral? Was it all worth it? Did I do anything meaningful? And so um, I started reading this Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is extremely inspirational because it's mm-hmm. all about that idea of how do we find meaning even in the most dire of situations and circumstances. And so um, I, I kind of, you know, try to understand what is it that gets me excited and, and that gives me meaning. And I realized what I enjoy the most is connecting people, connecting ideas, and, and that spark that comes from, from doing that. And so, um, you know, I started out as a community builder, then kind of entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, and then veered into academia. But I think the, the, the core that I found fascinating is how the most purpose-driven, successful, inspirational people around me, they, they seem to have in common that they cultivate serendipity. They, they see something in the unexpected, and then turn that into positive outcomes. And so that's kind of really how also the book and everything else came about and then just saying, mm-hmm. wow, like that is actually both a life philosophy, but also daily practice that can really enrich our lives. When you, when, when, when you came to write the book, was there a, a specific goal in your mind or was it more a kind of a case of, you know, I, I, I believe in all these philosophies, I'm going to just pull them all together on the paper? Yeah, I mean, it, it came out of serendipity, being honest. It was kind of this, <sighs> I, I, I remember so... You know, I had done kind of work and research around purpose and meaning and, and, and how to integrate that into organizations mm. for, for a long time. And, and so I wanted to write a book about it and bring it all together. And serendipity popped up. So 
but I, I kind of like it was like a sub chapter of like great like this is one one thing that's important and I remember uh, being on holidays uh, in, you know in, in Myanmar and uh, I pitched the idea of the book to friends of mine who um, you know are avid book readers and avid book readers and and I pitched them the the purpose book and they were like yeah you know this sounds interesting do you have other ideas as well and I was mm-hmm. like okay <laughs> I yeah. gotta gotta find something better here and uh, <laughs> you know what came to me like like instantly was was serendipity like this is kind of like that's been my life philosophy but also mm. that's been popping up everywhere and and so mm. i spent the night essentially kind of going through all my different kind of research things and all the things i had written and all the things i had kind of learned from you know building communities like sandbox which we always consider to be a kind of serendipity accelerator mm. and so kind of pulling it all together then resulted in that book and it was just a beautiful excuse to spend a couple of years on you know making sense out of all these different things from the perspective of serendipity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bigger picture idea now is really to say, look, like this has been, this has given me so much. You know, I grew up in Germany um, and to me, ambiguity, unpredictability, uncertainty is the worst thing you can hand to me, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, it, it gives me anxiety, right? Um, but, and, and, and so what I realized is, wow, but that kind of mindset really helps us to kind of redefine un, uncertainty and, and unpredictability to something that we can manage in some ways and that can give us meaning and, 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 and can lead us to success. And so it's really kind of, um, I feel like realizing, wow, there is, there is something here that could actually, you know, like help a lot of people and that could be integrated into mm-hmm. schools, into universities, into training programs. And so it really kind of was that excitement around like the transferability of it also. When you talk about serendipity and, and particularly in relation to how it has affected your life, maybe help, help us understand a little bit about what serendipity means and, and, and where, it has, you know, examples maybe of it in your life. Yeah, I mean, serendipity really is this kind of, you know, unexpected positive outcomes that resulted out of unplanned moments where we did something versus not not doing something. So, to mm-hmm. give an example, imagine the kind of imagine the situation. You know, if you have erratic hand movements as I do, you're in a coffee shop, you spill coffee over someone, and now you have two options, right? Like that is unexpected that you did that. But now what do you do about this moment? And, mm-hmm. you know, option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry, here's a napkin. You walk outside and you're like, ah, I sense there could have been some kind of direction, I, uh, some kind of connection. I should have talked to this person, but I didn't. And so this kind of, this question in your mind, ah, what could have happened? What if? And the other option, of course, is you say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Um, I just thought about X, Y, Z, idea, whatever. You start a conversation, see where it could lead, and that might become your love partner or it might become your co-founder. And so... Really, these kind of moments, you know, that are unplanned, unexpected, mm-hmm. but actually that turn into positive outcomes based on our own actions. And so, you know, in my life, I feel like most of how I met my love partners, how I met my co-founders, it was always that kind of moment, you know, where you had to do something in that moment to, mm-hmm. to make it happen. And so serendipity really being very different from this kind of blind luck, which is all about, you know, uh, being born into a loving family or having some kind of inheritance, uh, inheritance or something. We can't influence these things, but serendipity really is this kind of process we can influence because it is about making accidents meaningful, but also, and we can probably talk about this, also creating more meaningful accidents. So also kind of creating moments in which then positive, unexpected things can, can evolve. And actually, kind of that's, smart luck, active luck. I, I, I love that. I, it's, such a, it's such a brilliant philosophy. But that idea about um, creating more meaningful accidents, what a, what, a, what a brilliant phrase. And, 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 and maybe talk to me a little bit about that. Um, 
Because I, 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 I just, I, what's interesting when you talk is that I have a philosophy I use in my work, um, and it goes back to um, Epictetus. And it's this principle that it's not the event, but your opinion of it which causes suffering. And, you know, I've been going through my own personal stuff recently. My, my, my father passed away a few weeks ago, and uh, he was sick a long time, you know. And, and obviously, I mean, I, I was incredibly close to him, and he was the most influential person in my life. And it was a hugely devastating event, losing him. Similarly, he had been through two years of absolute misery as his health declined. And he was disappearing as the man that we knew. And he was unhappy in his own existence. So my family and my mom, who was married to him for 59 years and is now without the person who's been in her life for 60, 61 years, you know, we all kind of came to the conclusion that we were relieved that he wasn't suffering anymore. And then we had a series of decisions to make about, you know, what we do to get on with our lives. And one of the things that has been really interesting, and I've spoken to my brother about, is that each of us, without actually talking to each other, we've all kind of checked in and we all do little things every now and again to kind of like we talk to him or we remember something that was really cool about him. And we've kind of taken that event and turned it into something positive. And I think my interpretation of what you're saying is really interesting is that you're taking that to the next level because you're saying, first off, you acknowledge the event and that you know it's only devastating if you accept it to be devastating. But it's then the action you take off the back of that event. So, you know, I, I, I'm dying, I'd love to hear more about this 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 uh, meaningful accident kind of idea because I think that's a brilliant phrase. Yeah. Well, and it, it, to, to, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about you, Dad. I mean, oh, thank not, you. I can only imagine, and, and and it's exactly. I mean, this is uh, what I found most inspiring also about Viktor Frankl that this idea. You know, he survived the Holocaust, right? He was in the concentration camp, and he had this this fantastic notion, which I was reminded of when when you were speaking about how he, you know, when you didn't know how you would wake up tomorrow, if you would be the one, you know, getting into the gas chamber, or your friend might be taken away, right? Like it's kind of every morning something really bad could happen. So so essentially, there's not that much hope, right? There's nothing really there that you're looking forward to. But what he did was two things. One was that he said, you know what? Every day I will speak, every day I will still speak with someone else and make them feel better about themselves. And so by doing this, I have some kind of meaning here because I can still kind of help others like have hope here. And so I've seen that here during COVID, right, where people were reaching out to their elderly neighbors by helping them. It actually gave them also, again, this kind of hope of, oh, there's some kind of meaning that I'm still kind of, you know, keep on going because now someone needs me or someone Mm -hmm. is there that kind of and all these different types of, of, of themes. But also he still wanted to write this book when he would come out of out of the camps. And so he had this duality of meaning, duality of purpose, where he in the day-to-day there was something that was meaningful, but also there was still this kind of broader meaningful idea of, of what could be. And one thing I've, I've seen a lot in, in my work is that kind of, you know, this, this question of how do we find that sense of direction? Mm-hmm. And then in the day-to-day, that kind of meaning that imbues meaning in everything, right? Because if I, for example, know, I mean, that is, that is with, with very dire uh, incidences and also more generally in life, right? In terms of if I, for example, know that I want to write this book over the next three years and I have this kind of sense of direction, now every incident, every encounter with people, I can try to create meaningful accidents, right? I can, I can mm-hmm. set, for example, I can cast hooks where I could be like, mm-hmm. oh, um, you know, um, I don't know, you tell me about uh, your wonderful kind of uh, company you, you work with, right? And I would see a couple of hooks of like, oh, great, like maybe we can 
and 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 and, and it's really based on. Uh, I'm a big fan of of Oli Barrett in London, who's a wonderful entrepreneur there. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing is, you know, it starts with small things. Like if you would ask him something like, "What do you do?" He would say something like, "I'm a technology entrepreneur, but recently started reading into the philosophy of science. But what I'm really excited about is playing the piano." And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could be like, "Oh my God, such a coincidence!" Um, you know, yeah, I just yeah, started hosting yeah. piano matinees. Like, let's catch up. Or such a coincidence. Like, that. So the point here is like that kind of strategy, like a hook strategy, is you're seeding dots that others could connect for you. So so you allow meaningful accidents to to arise. But to your point, also we can also imbue meaning in accidents that already happened, right? So to your point, we can also take situations that are there and then because we have some kind of sense of direction so we can connect dots to that and say, okay, there's the kind of meaning we can we can take from that. And I think, you know, being honest in my life, that's been extremely helpful because mm-hmm. then you see and you reframe every situation away from something that is bad and that could be threatening mm-hmm. to, oh, they can, in every conversation, every situation, there could still be something in there. And that's how, you know, one of our companies came out of essentially the financial crises and other things came mm-hmm. out of And, you know, so these dire moments a lot of times become these kind of accidents that really lead us towards like more meaningful kind of things. Isn't it interesting? Because I would be the kind of person who, you know, I like, I would never been the greatest person for sitting in an office. I like the, the wherever I worked, I'd always find myself in a coffee shop with my laptop and I love watching yeah. the world go by. I love kind of studying people and kind of trying to figure out what's happening in their lives. I would talk to any, I'm Irish, so we talk to everyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would talk to anyone, but it is very, very true what you're saying that opportunities arise because you allow yourself to be open to opportunities. When I moved to Canada first, in fact, even moving to Canada, I, I sent an email to a professor in a university who was one of the world leaders in um, the whole area of sports psychology. And I had a kind of a, an idea about kind of where I, I was actually thinking about athlete transition before it became kind of fashionable to talk about athlete transition. And he invited me to, he basically, he called me. I, I sent him an email. I never, ever thought I'd get a reply, but he replied. And then we ended up set up a call. Then we had a chat. He kind of agreed that I was coming from an angle that he hadn't heard before. So he invited me over to have a conversation. And all of a sudden, I went from being some kid who'd done a, who'd studied and had some idea to actually sitting in a room with a guy who worked as some of the best athletes in the world, you know, and suddenly opportunities were changing. And Canada is an amazing country because you can, you know, it, it's a lot easier to get access to, say, the CEO of a major company. You can send him an email and you can ask him to go, like I would send an email and say, look, I'm Irish, I'm in town, I don't really know the environment. Would you mind joining me for a coffee and help me kind of navigate, you know, give me some advice or tips on how to kind of navigate the environment, whatever. And they would meet you and, and they would, and if they said they'd help you, they would. And it, it just, it was fascinating for me. It was like so much change can happen by, or potentially could happen by somebody just having a conversation or, or, or reaching out to somebody, you know, that there's, there's, there's an opportunity in every interaction you have in life. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting because one of the things that our work shows is, you know, there's up to 50% of inventions, innovations, um, you know, things like companies, like they emerge serendipitously, right? They emerge out of exactly those kind of moments of looking at the world, seeing something in the moment and then doing something with it. And, you know, I, I think you're completely right. And what I find interesting also what you said earlier about how you were you were essentially planting serendipity bombs, right? By by sending kind of emails <laughs> to people 
to people you you admire and you kind of like you know it's speculative right like mm -hmm. you don't necessarily assume that they will get back but but if you do that a couple of times with a couple of people likelihood is that someone will say oh my god hey x like this is great uh, and, and let's do that and i've seen that at the moment a lot of my students right they had their careers fell through the internships fell through like everything they had everything mapped out and now due to covid and everything they they are like oh my god what happens next and one of the things we've been doing with them over the last month is to say you know what send like speculative emails you know use something like linkedin check the second degree contacts where you can then send an email so you can you can contact people you really admire and just develop a relationship with with quite a few people across different mm -hmm. industries have conversations and in a way put yourself on the radar now so that when they hire in five months from now that you're on their radar and then quote unquote coincidentally that's the kind of moment where they say oh my god like i met this this guy recently like who could fit exactly xyz and so the mm. point being that it's really this kind of idea of putting on the radar putting out there even if it's a bit speculative and, and mm. it's a numbers game a lot of times right like if you have 20 people you really admire and you send like 20 messages that are super kind and say i admire you you like wonderful work just wanted to put out there that i'd love to kind of uh, you know chat at some point it's very likely that two or three of them say oh my god like great like i always wanted to express that whatever it is and, and so mm. it's really kind of i'm a big fan actually of these kind of seeding planting those kind of bombs that could go off at any point in time right and and, mm -hmm. and that's really something um when i think about i mean you know if you think about things like for example endorsements for books right i mean i said that with with my endorsements for example where it was literally it was like it was a lot of times kind of a long process of, of planting those kind of serendipity bombs that then would go off at some point um, to, to make that happen. Same with companies, first sponsors, first investors, and everything else. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it makes a big difference. And especially, I think, in contexts that are more resource constrained. I mean, a lot of my work is, is in Sub Saharan Africa, um, mm -hmm. where, you know, you have uh, extreme poverty in a lot of uh, parts of, 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 of the continent. And, you know, there's this amazing organization, Reconstruct the Living Labs, which is, you know, former drug dealers, former drug addicts, people who had a really rough life. And, you know, what they do is they have a super simple, low cost education methodology, which is essentially saying 10 steps to use social media to build your business, 10 steps to do X or Z. And, you know, they go to other local communities and instead of asking, what do you need? What kind of resource do you need? And whatever, whatever. They're just like, what's already here? There's a former doctor. Fantastic. That's a great potential teacher. Mm -hmm. If we can turn them around, they have amazing social capital, amazing creativity, amazing X or Z. Old garage, fantastic. That could be a training center. And you know, if you take that kind of reframing into companies, then you realize you don't have to, you know, necessarily kind of shut down a bank branch because you have ATMs now and you don't need like cashiers. You can say the cashier could be a financial trainer and the, the bank uh, could be a financial training center. And so the point being that we can reframe those kind of situations, which really yeah. helps them to, um, to make a lot of interesting things happen and to, to have a lot of serendipity happen in the process. I just think that what you're talking about right now, there's a real lovely synergy there because I think that there's messages there for, for managers around this idea. I mean, you talk about it as serendipity bombs. Um, but if you were going to, if you were going to sit down with a team of like senior leaders in an organization and particularly off the back of what's going on with a pandemic and everybody's stressed and everybody's freaked out and everybody's probably been a little bit, negative and cynical how would you deliver a message to leaders in an organization about engaging their people using the principles of serendipity to 
improve their lives and improve their, 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 their connection and particularly improving the kind of the teamwork mentality when we know that everybody's isolated and on Zoom calls and people aren't in offices at the moment. How do you deliver? How do you, like how, where, what's the, where's, where's the go-to with serendipity to help people in that area? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is kind of, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a whole book. The, the answer would, would be, yeah, would yeah, be very course, extensive, yeah. but, but I think if, if I would say some, if I would, would focus on, on three things that I've, um, you know, teamwork in the, the organizations I work with, um, it's really the first one being around that question of how do we develop a culture that gives the psychological safety and the kind of idea that at this point in time, we're all winging it and that's okay. Like that, that's okay. Like taking the, in a way kind of, you know, hey, here's our North Star, here's where we're going, it's important we're going there, we want everyone to be motivated, but also nobody's perfect at this point in time, and that's okay. And so I'm, I'm a big fan in this, in this regard of the project funeral, where the idea here is, you know, usually in companies and organizations, when things go wrong, when things don't work, we try to hide them away, right? We try to say, yeah. oh my God, it never happened, because we don't want to be the loser who kind of messed something up or something. Right? <laughs> but actually, that's the thing. <clears throat> But actually, that's the things where we learn the most from, right? Those kind of moments of experimentation or moments of things that didn't work. And so the Project Funeral Postmortem is really all about saying, when something doesn't work, take it and present it to project managers from other divisions and say what you learned from it. It's not about celebrating failure. Quite the opposite. It's about celebrating the learning from what didn't work and then kind of like really like taking this and, and laying the project to rest. And so in this one example of a company... You know, they do like window glass and, and things and they uh, uh, developed this amazing window glass that uh, didn't reflect light. And so, you know, amazing technology, but they didn't realize that people wouldn't buy a lot of that um, at that price that they had that they had put it out for. So they said, okay, next, we learn from this. Next time we'll understand the market a bit better. Now, someone in the audience goes, hey, 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 have you considered what this would mean for solar? Have you considered if you would take that technology into a solar device, how much energy that could absorb? And that's how, quote unquote, serendipitously, uh, they're, they're part of the solar division emerged, right? It was mm -hmm. lucky that that person was in the audience for <laughs> the time and whatever, but they created a ritual that allowed people to feel safe to share, but also to actually connect the dots for each other. And so it's that kind of psychological safety, but also the idea that people share transparently things that don't work and that work, which then allows us to connect the dots. And that comes to the second one, which I think is super important, which is this idea that, you know, every meeting, like like a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, but, you know, even before that, the idea that there's kind of a research and development department, innovation department that kind of comes up with the new things and everyone else doesn't have to innovate. That's just like very old school. Like in the new world of COVID, we have to all figure out, right? Like if you're a brewery that used to sell to restaurants and now the restaurants don't buy from you because they're not open, you got to pivot. you got to figure out how you can sell your alcohol in different ways. And so... You know, that's how breweries now turn into hand sanitizer companies, right? That, that produce hand sanitizer. And the reason these things can happen is because people in meetings say, you know what? Um, let's, let's, let's ask each other, what can we do differently with the things we're doing? And these kind of ideas can come from all different types of sources. And so the, the idea here is to say, you know what? At the end of the day, um, we, we need to kind of have, lead our meetings differently rather than just talking about numbers and things that worked or whatever. We got to ask questions such as, what surprised you last week? What could we do differently? What, what are things that really let people think about the unexpected things that they could still do? Um, and that's when we see in marketing data, 
you know, um, um, oh, there's something unexpected we could do differently. And if we have time later, we can talk about the potato washing machine, for example, which is all about <laughs> saying, you know what? Um, but we can talk about this, this, this in a second. I don't want to um, make this answer too long, but it's really about saying, hey, at the end of the day, we need to, we need to design our meetings and our questions differently to, to have people come up with ideas and stuff. And then third, I think that what's, what's really at the core of all of it is to say, how do we role model the idea that essentially the unexpected will happen all the time now, and that's fine because it's not a loss of control. It's actually a sign of a good culture that you cultivate serendipity. And so to give an example, we just finished a study with um, over 30 of the top of the world's top CEOs. Um, we sat down with them and said, look, what is it that makes you really successful? And one of the things that, that they all have in common is they're really good at kind of defining a certain idea of where we're going, right? An approximate idea of if I'm a MasterCard, I want to lift 500 million people into the financial system. You know, people who are in abject poverty, who don't have access to the financial system, they want to help them get into that system. But we don't really know exactly how to do that. We have an approximate strategy here, an approximate plan, but the rest will, will emerge unexpectedly. And so it's really that idea of role modeling. Hey, we have an idea of where we're going, but we, we don't have it all figured out. And that's fine because that's where, where we can come together and, and help each other out. I think that's the same in families, you know, when you have a teenage kid or so, like just pretending that everyone knows exactly what's happening at the moment versus saying, hey, look, I need you to be part of this process now. Um, you know, it changes the whole family dynamic. I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that all the podcast episodes are available on peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. That's peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. Here you'll find some embedded podcast players, show notes, guest bios, and links to additional resources. So head on over to peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. Absolutely. Um, I, don't, I don't think I can possibly let this conversation go on without going back to the potato washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's one of my favorites. It's actually, uh, so, so there's this, uh, this Chinese company uh, they produce washing machines, refrigerators, and so on. And they got calls from farmers, and the farmers told them, well, your crappy machine's breaking down. So they asked, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes, and, and it just doesn't work. And so what we usually tell them when we see something like this, we would say, well, you know, it's a clothes washing machine. Don't wash your potatoes in it, right? Um, but, you know, they did the opposite. They said, you know what? It's unexpected that they do that, but there's a lot of farmers in China who probably have the same problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how the potato washing machine emerged as a product. And that's the same with like how breweries turn into hand sanitizer companies and other other things, right? That in a way mm -hmm. you see something the unexpected and you connect the dots. And that's really to what we said earlier, right? This, this we can train ourselves in that ability and we can train our people in that ability to see something in that moment when you see that unexpected and to not discard it or not give people an incentive to discard these things, but actually giving them an incentive to look out for those things. I gave a talk the other day to um, a bunch of performance schools in Britain. I do some consultancy work with the, with the Royal Ballet School in Britain. Um, and we're talking about performance anxiety and, um, and just general anxiety in relation to what's going on. And I think you touched on something a little while ago, which I thought was really, really cool, where you were talking about the control, the aspect of control. And one of the fundamental fears in human psychology is a loss of control. You know, we talk about the three, mm. the three principal fears. You, do, you haven't lost control. You just have to be creative in how you control what's going on. Mm. 
And if, if, if somebody is coming to you as a client and saying, look, we really want you to come in and do some work with us and help us to navigate this thing for, for, for next year, how do, you, how do you give someone a sense of control when all they're looking at is a pandemic? From your perspective, how do you n- navigate that then with a conversation with somebody to talk about, you know, like somebody might say to you, I couldn't really be, you know, I'm... I don't care about bloody serendipity. I'm just worried about putting food on the table in, in the next couple of weeks. And um, how, how, do you, how do you kind of shift their mindset away from the negative and the anxious to actually there's an opportunity here? Yeah, well, it's a great point because I feel acknowledging the, the greatness of the situation is important, right? To really say, look, like, yes, it is a really rough situation at the moment. It is a situation that, you know, puts a lot of people in a lot of distress. I mean, I had COVID in March, you know, I, I kind yeah. of was I really kind of tough breathing, all these kind of different things. Talk about death, right? Talk about like feeling that you're almost drowning. I mean, those kind of things are rough, right? And there's no way to say, you know, that there's no way to look at it from a rosy perspective. It's literally, that is tough. It's health-wise tough. It's um, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of my students come from less privileged backgrounds. It's tough for them to sit at home with like 10 other family members and try to, like zoom into a session where other kids sit in Florida in their big mansion, right? Like it's a, mm-hmm. it, it's a huge societal inequality that's exacerbated by the virus. Um, and, and, and then there's all these other things, right, around unemployment and so on. So I do think there's, there's, there's structural huge problems that, that, that we have to tackle at the same time as we're looking at the mindset question. Um, I think from a mindset perspective, what I found interesting is, um, and, and we talked about this earlier, right, in our own kind of lives in terms of how do we, how do we, like acknowledge the, that it is a situation that's really rough and that's tough. And at the same time, then say, what could be in that situation that helps us now reframe it? Like, what is there in the situation that, you know, and when you, when you look at, I mean, I, I, we talked about organizations. Like, I feel like one of the key roles of a leader in this organization is to first and foremost acknowledge the situation and say, let me take the ambiguity off the table that you think we don't understand what's happening. We, we have this understanding here. And based on this understanding, let me map out what we can do about it. And I think the more kind of, quote unquote, like clarity we can give, like uh, 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 one of my kind of um, colleagues here, he, he always says beautifully, I can't give you certainty, but I can give you clarity. And to me, that's always like a big one because I think it's exactly about this to say, look, like if I would pretend that I know what happens in three months, I would be lying to you. But what I can do is I can give you the clarity about where we are in the process Mm-hmm. where we want to go as a kind of North Star. And then we have to figure it out along the way. But let me role model here with you together that we are trying our best here. And then I think that's where the three things we talked about come in in terms of saying, how do I bring people on a table now, on a virtual table, and really say, like, everyone now needs to chip in in terms of thinking about how out of necessity we come up with new ideas and new new things. And so I think what's shifting at the moment in, in, in situations like COVID is that traditionally serendipity in the West has come a lot from kind of like, it's almost like a nice to have a lot of times, right? It's wonderful that something like Viagra evolves. It's wonderful that something like uh, like like potato washing machines uh, evolve and so on. Um, but it's not necessarily a survival thing. Um, but then if you think about it at the moment, uh, taking a brewery to become a hand sanitizer company, that is necessity-based serendipity. That is all about, there is no other way. Otherwise, we go bankrupt. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually how a lot of serendipity happens in general as well, if we look closer. And, and that's, you know, I mean, in our case, for example, so I, I graduated in 2007, 2008 to the financial crisis. And I still remember 
um, you know, when when we were setting up Sandbox, which is essentially it, it kind of it's, it's an incubator essentially for young people to make ideas happen. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, we wanted to do this huge big conference, and we had all the sponsors lined up, and everything looked amazing. And then the financial crisis happened, and they all jumped ship, and it was all this kind of idea of like, no, 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 like that's that. And so we we felt extremely threatened, right? We were like, wow, shoot, like literally, kind of our vision is really threatened here. And and so what happened was we we kind of said, okay, what is what is it in this situation that that could still be done? And so in this situation, we realized, oh wow, we can maybe just turn around the model. And essentially, instead of doing one big conference where like we we need a lot of money for, why don't we start like more locally and like organize small events or small dinners with people that could be self-funded first by the people who are coming, or mm-hmm. you know, kind of things that that are more bottom-up and that kind of like you know can grow. And when looking back now, that was the best thing that could have happened to it. Like now it's a global community. It's, it's active in, in over 20 countries and so on because people are so close-knit because they were first meeting locally and then after two or three years at a big conference, but they, the local people already knew each other from different cities. And so the close-knitness of the community was much stronger. My point here is with the long story, the short point really is that it is really about that idea that actually when you look at serendipity more closely, a lot of times it comes out of crises, out of bad mm-hmm. luck, out of out of things that are really, really messed up. But then when we take the long view, we realize, wow, like if we reframe a situation, then actually there might still be a way out. And that's why I, re- why I mentioned this example earlier of reconstructed living that's from Cape Town, the Cape Town. Because look, these people have the toughest of situations you can ever imagine. I mean, you, you know, they don't even have a roof over their head, right? Like it's, it's really kind of rough, rough, rough. Mm-hmm. And they reframe situations all the time. And so I think there's a lot to learn from that um, in those kind of roughest of contexts. So interesting. Um, well, random question for you. Um, one thing I've noticed with a lot of people I've worked with who have achieved great things in their career, um, whether it's sport or business or the arts or whatever, um, is they generally have a why. There's a reason why they do things. There's something that motivates them. What would you say is your why? What is the thing that keeps you ticking over? It's interesting because, um, you know, as an eternal questioner, I'm asking myself that question constantly. And, and it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm now connecting dots at hindsight, right? In terms of saying, I feel my why is that I, you know, back to the kind of Victor Frankl um, mm-hmm. um, story we talked about earlier that I that I do like a lot kind of connecting people connecting ideas building platforms around this but you know it started out with building platforms such as communities and then companies and then research and content and so it's kind of I think there there have been different there's been different manifestations of mm-hmm. that kind of feeling of what I want to do and and what it can do and I've always been very inspired by by Paul Pullman actually who's you know the the, the former CEO of Unilever mm-hmm. he always had this thing you know um, where he had this you know, he wanted to do things that would help other people who couldn't help themselves. And so he first thought, oh, I do that via being a priest. But then he realized, oh, no, I can do that via business. And, you know, so it's almost like what I felt with a lot of those kind of people is that they have some kind of sense of direction in, in terms of like what the proximate thing is. But then like the manifestation being that via company, via community, via something else can be so many different things. And mm-hmm. I've always found that interesting, you know, when you look at CVs and people always think, oh, it's so dispersed when someone goes from like business to academia and then back to like social enterprise. But then you're like, no, 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 but there's a, there's a common thread here. And the common thread is about, in my case, it is that kind of connecting ideas, connecting people and, and kind of somehow, you know, initiating meaningful change with it. For others, it's like something, something else. 
but I'm a big fan of this idea of trying to figure out, you know, so I, I've been doing a serendipity journal, for example, where I write down, mm -hmm. okay, what is the kind of sense of direction that I have for myself? Um, and, and I feel I have that now, but I can see with a lot of my students, for example, it's too early for them to, to have that kind of sense of direction. So in their sense, we're pushing more, what is the core curiosity you have, or what is the core area of interest, or just something that allows you to, to when you're in conversation, set a couple of hooks around it, or when you're like looking at the world to connect the dots a little bit towards that direction. And so I feel that why can come from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that kind of whole focus, a colleague of mine, um, John Djokovic at, at Harvard, he, he does this wonderful research around that focusing too much on like passion and thinking that you have to figure out your passion and everything else mm -hmm. is actually leading you away from a lot of things because it's kind of, it's, it's distracting you from actually just kind of like, you know, a serendipity mindset, what it says is to say, look, figure out a couple of areas of interest and then start setting hooks. And then, you know, you, you start kind of like setting things in motion mm -hmm. and then you will end up, you know, your gut and your brain will then kind of tell you what makes the most sense. But you got to put things in motion without knowing what exactly the passion is or what exactly the purpose is. And what's really interesting is that, that and it's, it's, it's fabulous advice you're talking about there. And it's, it's so true. Um, and it's kind of, you know, there's, there's a myth often peddled and you hear a lot in the sports world and, and, and definitely here in the business world too. And it's just this idea that if you work hard enough, you'll be successful, which isn't true, but it is true that if you don't work hard, you won't be, <laughs> you know, you know, you can say that it's definitely true in reverse, but it isn't about working hard. It's about, I always kind of use the term is about working smart. And what you're talking about there, when you're talking about sending out hooks, it's working smart. But I'm really interested, you're clearly somebody who, you know, through your books, through your work, you're, you're constantly helping people, you're advising them and you're helping them to develop philosophies and, 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 and to take actions to ensure future success. But is there one piece of advice you've received over your life that you would say is something that you go back to over and over again? It's probably that everything is just made up. I mean, like, in, 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 you know, in, in, like I, I remember, you know, like because because you know, I think when you when you come from Germany or, or other countries where you take like institutions and everything else is very for granted, and you think, oh yes, like all these things are in stone, and then you realize nothing is in stone. I mean, I think if you need any better example than what what's happening in the US at the moment, you see that you can reframe every situation <laughs> on the micro and, and on and on the macro level, right? And so the point is, from an entrepreneurial perspective, that's wonderful, right? Because from an entrepreneurial perspective, I mean, obviously, what's happening in the U.S. is, is absolutely, the, the, you know, like both from a democracy perspective and other perspectives, the worst that, that, that one can imagine. Mm. In general, though, if you think about, like, how you can create, what one thing entrepreneurs do is they create their own reality, right? They create mm -hmm. their own reality in terms of saying, this is kind of like what I'm building. This is my idea. Mm -hmm. Now I'm building around this idea. And I feel like what, what, what I've always found fascinating is, um, this idea that a lot of things are socially constructed and which means that we can reconstruct them, like a lot of yeah. processes, a lot of companies, a lot of other things. And so long story short, I think it, 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 I feel it, it allowed me to let go of having too much respect from people who seem to be in positions of big authority and everything. But at the end, they just fell into those positions a lot of times. And then they, they came up with some kind of rules and processes, but like, do they make sense or not? Well, you know, it made sense to them at that time, but it doesn't mean that they're in stone. And so it's, it's really kind of that idea of, of that, that a lot of things in life are malleable. Um, but also more importantly, that um, just that because something at this point didn't work doesn't mean it, it won't work later. Because again, 
it, it might work in another context or with uh -huh. other people or, or other things. So, yeah, I think long story short, it's really about this idea that, um, you know, being creative also can, yeah, create a lot of interesting realities. And, and again, I think that's, that's easier in contexts where you have that kind of, um, you know, um, a more entrepreneurial flair around it. But um, in general, you know, it, it's something around that, that that I've always found very meaningful because it's embedding, you know, this mm. idea that every situation is changeable. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least interpretable, to your point. And, 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 and with the kind of, with the, the concept of change, um, I'm always interested when I talk to people, and obviously it's the, the psychologist to me, but I'm always interested when I talk to people um, about, you know, if you were to go back 15, 20 years and meet the younger version of yourself, you know, is there one piece of advice or one change that you would recommend to alter the direction of your life? I feel I would probably tell myself, take the long view in terms of don't be too anxious about like, like short term stuff, because in the end, like, you know, um, I, I mean, when I think about my life, right, the situations of the, the, the worst of luck that, you know, or bad luck, like breakups or other things mm. in the moment, they feel extremely anxiety enhancing and bad and everything else, or even mm -hmm. like these almost bankruptcies with, or, you know, things where you're kind of like, wow, they, they feel really tough in the moment. Um, they feel ex ex existentially threatening. They feel identity threatening. And, and then after some time, you realize, oh, wow, okay, like that there was a kind of like, you know, th there was still a way that, that we, we could do something with it. And, and so uh, I think it, it, it would really be this idea of like taking the long view and, and perspective and having people around who help to, to put things mm. into perspective and, and, and really kind of um, realizing that in the end of the day, you know, health mental health like those kind of questions are the most important and everything else you know um and yeah, actually I mean, that, that's a really interesting point you're making because somebody listening to you speak and and you speak so well on this 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 topic and it's fascinating stuff and she's like i could talk to you for hours i could listen to this stuff forever um but there is that perception and sometimes like i would go and talk about performance or about anxiety or whatever the case may be and then People assume that because you speak so well about something, that it's almost like you're bulletproof, that you're not prone to the challenges that other people face. But what you're talking about there, it's, you know, when, when you talk about a serendipity mindset and you talk about throwing out the hooks and you talk about, you know, influencing your future outcomes, but it's not easy. And, you know, when, when you're, like you talk on, you touched on a couple of things there, like personal relationships or businesses failing. And obviously, like from a performance sport point of view, I would always see failures as your opportunity to get better because that's what you learn from. When you're successful, when things go your way, you don't learn nearly as much as you do as when something goes dr dr drastically wrong and you have to make decisions on how you're going to avoid it going drastically wrong again. And that's the same in personal relationships as it is in business, right? But for you, have you learned anything that's made you extra resilient? And, and, and more capable of channeling your mind back into serendipity when you have your heart broken or when a business fails and you're looking at potential bankruptcy or whatever the case may be. These are the real life problems that everybody faces. You know, everybody has struggles. And life is, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And I've had conversations with, with, with my kids before where they talk about things being fair. And you go, whoever told you life was fair? <laughs> That's the greatest lie of all. But <clears throat> when you've been faced with those challenges in your life, 
how hard was it for you to get your to bring your balance back to where what you passionately believe in knowing that that is the path that you need to be on to be successful or to be happy or to be whatever how how much of a challenge is it for you yeah that's a great question because i feel and and i don't think i have a, an answer that does it real <laughs> justice in the sense i think in my life it's, it's been a lot around um two things probably one is how do you overcome the imposter syndrome so how do you overcome this idea that you know you're never really ready um you know you're you're potentially taking things on that are that seem bigger than than you could ever deliver them and all these kind of things and you know i've always had this kind of weird thing in my head where on the one hand i feel you know i i fortunately grew up uh, with parents who made me feel that I can potentially do everything. So it's this kind of feeling of I can do everything. And at the same time, then at the, you feel like, oh, wow, but like now this seems a bit too big. So let me kind of like make sure that X, Y, Z, and then the whole risk uh, aversion, everything comes in. And and so it's kind of always this, this, this inner tension where it's about figuring out like how to overcome the kind of inner imposter uh, syndrome uh, in, in that regard. And then at the same time, I think something that, that I've been thinking a lot about is how to, on one hand, be really passionate about something, like let's say building a business or something, but also not to be too reliant on it in terms of identity. Because, you know, I remember the times where, you know, when, when one of the ventures I've been building and we went almost bankrupt, and I remember um, like the, the threads, the threat that came from, the threat to identity that came from feeling, oh, if Christian is not the founder of, who is Christian, right? Like in terms of like, because my identity was essentially my, my professional identity and that's, mm-hmm. that's who I define myself as who I am. And so I feel like um, my, my key learning there was to to never again define myself, like to always have passion for something, but to never define myself like through only that one thing or, or, or that, that so, so in a way to kind of um, um, catch my identity a bit more and, and, and really kind of build a bit more anchors and, and so on. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, things like meditation and so on have, have helped me a lot in terms of really anchoring also emotionally a bit more and 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 then you know in the bigger picture i mean i've been thinking more and more about parenting and when i think about what i think my parents have done really well and what i would love to do with my kids is, is really thinking about how you can instill that sense of worthiness um that you know even if something doesn't work out that's not a judgment of you but it's just that you know yeah you messed something up you didn't do it well but you know what there's still kind of things that that you know, you can do. And so it's really that kind of feeling worthy of something. And I've seen that a lot of, as one of the biggest things that come into, how do you call it, the, uh, um, the, the total spectrum serendipity is, is the feeling of not being worthy for the opportunity, even if we see it. And so it's kind mm-hmm. of, in a way, working on that. And I think that's where probably you come in, right, with your uh, really thinking about how do you overcome those kind of different, mm-hmm. like self-limiting beliefs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny, I, I, I did a whole uh presentation yesterday on talking about self-talk and how you know we are masters at talking ourselves out of things and i've always fascinated by imposter syndrome it's been one of the things you you mentioned it there and it's something that is just it has fascinated me throughout my career and and the most interesting thing about it is that almost every single person i've ever worked with at some point has expressed this view about, you know, what if people find out I don't know what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, you know, it, 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 it's really interesting. And it, it kind of, it, it makes the, the whole kind of area of entrepreneurship so interesting for me because I, I've, I've always, I, I kind of always look at the world and kind of look at the gaps, look at what's missing, what hasn't existed, you know? And I think it was George Bernard Shaw famously said, was it, I think it was Bernard Shaw, 
who said that uh, most people see the world as it is and ask why. I see what has never been and ask why not. And, and that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset, isn't it? It's that kind of thing about, well, what, what's the gap? What's missing? Partly. I mean, partly in the sense that, that, you know, I feel like every human is so complex in their own ways that I feel, you know, it, it probably, I'm a big fan of the Socratic dialogue in terms of first trying to figure out, you know, what, what is the underlying like issue that any, like, I, I guess we all have our own kind of, you know, contextual things and, um, and, and so my, my first hunch whenever someone asks for, for advice usually is to ask them more questions and then yeah. first try to figure out what, what, what's really going on in their life and, and then kind of saying, okay, great, like maybe there's something. And I remember, for example, um, a gentleman I talked with and I asked him how often does he have serendipity in his life? And he would say, well, until I was 25, never. And then afterwards all the time and I asked him, so what is, what was that about? And he was like, look, like I went through a journey when I was around that age that, um, made me realize that I had some kind of beliefs that were imbued in me in my childhood where, you know, I grew up in a working class family where um, like I would always hear things like people like us don't do X, Y, Z. People like us work in service. People like us don't do X, Y, Z profession. And so, you know, he would work as a waiter and people would offer him opportunities. They would say, oh my God, like you have great energy, you have great X, Y, Z. I want to put you in touch with this and this person. He would always say, no, 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 like that's fine uh, because he didn't feel worthy of that opportunity. And, and so. I feel like there's so much around this question of how do we also, A, kind of, you know, work on our own self-limiting beliefs, but also B, how do we surround ourselves with people who, who really kind of, you know, like foster that kind of, um, you know, that, that sense of that things are possible. And I think there's a lot of wonderful experiments. I mean, next time we speak and uh, we, we can talk more about it, but I think this idea of like, you know, how, for example, people who self-identify as lucky tend to be luckier, right? Because they see mm-hmm. things in the unexpected, uh, they are the kind of people who, in experiments, uh, see something. If there's money on the street, they see it. Unlucky people tend to not see it. Those kind of things, right? Where it's, it's really a lot about that question of how do we frame the world. And so I'm always a big fan of, of working on very small nudges and very small things, like very small exercises everyone can do. You know, in every conversation, for example, how do we see one or two dots about something we're interested in so that the other person can connect the dots with us? Or, you know, and then I think, so it's not about like the big how do I overcome imposter syndrome from yesterday to today? But it's more about how do I start with small behavioral things that then get me into that rhythm of, of getting used to actually naturally overcoming it more and more. And I think that's, that's something that, that I've seen work in my own life and with others that um, once we put ourselves then, you know, regularly into kind of positions where we see that we can constantly overcome it, then actually we start believing it. Absolutely. Brilliant. Great place to leave it, man. Um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and, get, and being so generous with your time. John Tupper. Thanks so much, Neil. Excellent. It was wonderful Thank to meet you and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank Thanks, you. Christian. Talk Have to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. So, which brings us to my favourite part of every episode, my chat with Gus. How's it going, man? Good, Niall. Delighted <laughs> to hear that this is the, the favourite part. Living your best life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 what I'm enjoying about these, these episodes is the, the way you pull out your favourite points from it rather than me prattling on about mine. But um, you've come out with some really interesting ones in the previous episodes, so I'm sure you've got some gold for us today. Well, I, I hope so. Yeah, so jumping straight in, I absolutely loved the phrase uh, meaningful accidents mm. and how like opportunities will arise if you allow yourself to be open to opportunities and I, and I think that's it's so simple 
but yet we do close ourselves and we think well i'm only in this box and therefore i can't go outside of it whereas you know like you said opportunities are always available yeah and it's fascinating isn't it it's it's, it's at the heart of serendipity i suppose um and it's interesting that, that that christian and i both found ourselves on very different paths in life but but kind of our one of our meaningful accidents uh, is simply that we read the book by Viktor Frankl, which really fascinating about the control you have over certain aspects of your life. And, and I love the idea of, of, of like, every time you bump into somebody in a coffee shop, they could be a relationship that changes your life, you know, whether it's personal or professional, or you just never know. And you often hear these stories of some guy, in, you know, trying to park his car and roaring abuse at somebody in the car park. And then he walks into a building for an interview and the person interviewing him is the person he's and it's that simple kind of thought of if you leave yourself open to the possibility of life-changing events they're more likely to happen there's a great phrase by jc penny the reason that most of us miss opportunities in life is that when it comes knocking we're all in the back garden looking for four-leaf clovers i i just love that idea that, that you kind of you just leave yourself open to the possibility and meaningful accidents could change your life. And I, I think it's one of the most powerful phrases you'll ever hear. Yeah, I, I'm kind of reminded of the Helen Curran episode. And even though she was the one going after it, like if she hadn't listened to everyone who told her, you can't be a TV presenter, that's not a real job. Like she might, yeah. she might never have gone after it. So she was open to the opportunity that, well, I actually could be a TV presenter and I really want to be. I'm kind of reminded of that. And um, the other one uh, I thought was brilliant, the other point was about, about reframing situations. Uh, creative serendipity, like learning all the time, not just you know when you're supposed to be learning, but learning from your mistakes. Uh, the fact that everyone can innovate, not just the department that's supposed to be, like the people yeah, using, yeah, yeah. Uh, like whether you're you're making the units or selling the Absolutely, units, yeah. there's always the opportunity to innovate. Um, and that you can role model for the unexpected to happen. So instead of saying, oh, well, you know, like, like Helen, for example, people mm -hmm. telling her, you won't be a TV presenter. She role modeled the fact that, no, I really want to do this and I'm gonna go after it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it all just, you know, you've heard me bang a drum so many times um, about one of my favorite quotes by Epictetus, that it's not the event, but your opinion of it that causes suffering. And it's really kind of that kind of understanding that, you know, the things that happen to us in our lives, some of them can be devastating. But we have a simple choice after that fact, and that is, you know, to, to, to use the old Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption line about get busy living or get busy dying. You know, like, you know, you lose a loved one and it's devastating. But you're, 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 the choice you're faced with is, do I fold myself up in a ball and stay at home and never face the world again? Or do I try to every day make my life a little bit more meaningful in their memory? And it's that kind of thing about taking your failures or the bad experiences that happen to you. And actually, just to, to use another phrase that I use all the time um, by Aldous Huxley, is that experience is not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens to you. Mm. And that's kind of where he's coming from with his creative serendipity. It's, you know, the great example I often use is the kid who puts the hand up in class and asks a question, and then the whole classroom laughs at them. And that kid then never opens their mouth ever again. But what if you were to go back and look at that situation and kind of go, you know what, it was a kind of a stupid question and I was only a kid, so, mm. so what if I heard that? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was a really smart question and the rest of the class were idiots. Mm. You know, like what if you were to go back, like psychologists do an awful lot of work around the concept of reframing memory. 
and it's like revisiting an event that's happened in your life and instead of it being the most devastating thing that's ever happened to you you actually put a different label on it and you think well you know what if this doesn't have to impact the rest of my life what if i can move forward um and it, it, it it's a powerful tool you know and it's something i think in work especially um, there's that danger that you try something um, innovative or different or you do something in a project and it doesn't work and you're more likely to put your head down and never volunteer to do something again. Mm. Whereas the fact that it didn't work means you've got a level of expertise that nobody else has because you've found out what doesn't work, mm. which means you're a lot closer to figuring out what does work. Mm. Yeah, I think again, if there's a through line here, it's maybe like the meaningful accidents is be just being open to the opportunity. So like in a business context, not just staying in your own team, like break out of that silo, walk around the business and see what else is going on. The reframing situations is like, well, how can you learn from others and your mistakes and, and how can you package them into uh, uh, a positive outcome? Mm -hmm. Which leads us nicely onto the third one, the whole story of the potato washer, which I thought was, was brilliant. <laughs> like the Chinese turning the washing machine into potato washer. But that's happened so many times in business. You think about like, you think about the positives and then the near misses. Like you think about Apple who said they'd never be a phone company and yet one of their biggest products is the iPhone. Yeah. But then you think about like the likes of Kodak who missed the whole, even though they actually invented or were, the, at, were at the forefront of digital cameras, totally missed out on that as a product pivot. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 a nice through line. It is. To the it's fascinating. We see it in the pandemic with, with the, 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 the alcohol distilleries, you know, making hand sanitizers. Yeah. Like for me, the message in that, and it comes back to something that I believe passionately in, and it's um, something that you will see soon in my uh, in my first book, is the whole simple principle of great leaders being able to pivot. And it's about facing challenges, learning lessons, and never being so entrenched in your ideas and your values that you're not open to trying something different. And when you read, um, uh, Professor Carl Dweck wrote the book Mindset, which is a fabulous book, and I had a great pleasure of, 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 of meeting her and doing some work with her many, many years ago. And the simple principle where she talked about CEOs with growth and closed mindset, and this idea that a CEO with growth mindset surrounds themselves with people who are smarter than them in specific areas. Because as a CEO, it's not your job to know everything. You hire experts in areas and then you let them do their job and you constantly ask questions and keep them honest and what it is that you're on a path to learning but while you're on a path to learning your entire organization is on a path to learn and the principle behind that is that no matter what obstacles you're faced with then there is abilities because you've got smart people around you to pivot go in a different direction figure it out and then get you on a path and sometimes like with the potato washer, the pivot takes you in a completely different direction, but could be the pivot that saves your company. Yeah, yeah, it could be the like the game changer. The the yeah, absolutely, could be the game changer. Um, anything else, Niall, or will we leave it at that? Um, yeah, no, I think that's it, really. I I just um, I just think that that there is such simplicity in the concept of the serendipity mindset, and I hope people go away from this talk and go away from listening to Christian who, you know, I, I just think he's a genius. And for me, real geniuses are the people who simplify their message. Uh, and I hope you'll go away and just understand that, you know, considering serendipity, it gives you an opportunity to figure out, you know, what is your purpose in life? And, and what are the opportunities? And never be afraid of a meaningful accident. And hopefully it'll 
bring some success to you as an individual and to your organisation. Brilliant, great way to finish. Cool. On behalf of Nyla Carroll and all of us at Pep Talk, thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can find all the show notes at peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. That's peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.